This morning, our reading from the Word of God will be Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 7 down through verse 24. Here I read the inspired Word of God written by the Apostle Paul, beginning in verse 7. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become, in every aspect, the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in Him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Morning and start off, let's go to Zechariah chapter 3. We'll get to Ephesians 4 here in just a little bit. So near the end of the Old Testament, one of the small, the minor prophets, those smaller books typically, Zechariah, one of the more major of the minor prophets, uh, as far as size. Zechariah, Zechariah chapter 3. We will be coming in just a moment to Ephesians 4, verses 20 to 24, where we're going to talk about your new position in Christ. We had talked a couple weeks ago from the previous passage about our old life before Christ, and this morning we'll be looking at our new position in Christ. So I want to ask all of us, uh, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, especially if you're a member of this church, are you dressed appropriately for serving God? And you're thinking, okay, was I supposed to wear a suit today or a tie? And Kevin was teasing and saying we're going to switch to, he liked the way that things looked at the wedding and all of us in suits and ties and everything. And I was like, no, no. <clears throat> Are you dressed appropriately for serving God? Well, think about this. God is building us into his holy 
temple. And we've seen earlier in Ephesians 4 that Jesus gives us spiritual gifts to each one of us for serving God. And He uses us in our serving, in our using of those spiritual gifts to build that holy temple. We learned that from uh, Ephesians 2 through 4 about we're being built into this temple, but we're also serving to help build it. You see, we saw that we are both construction workers in that temple, building that temple, but we are also the construction materials. So we are, as Peter will say in his version of all this in 1 Peter 2, that we are living stones. And and so we are being built into that spiritual house, that holy priesthood. That holy priesthood, Peter said, we are offering, or as the holy priesthood, we are offering spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God. And Peter used the prophecy that we have mentioned at the top of the bulletin, if you happen to have picked up one of those or saw the email, the Isaiah 61.6, a prophecy of the fact that there we would be priests of God. It won't be just the Levites as it was in the Old Testament. So when Kevin just read Ephesians 4, and in verses 20 to 24, the passage for today, did you notice the language of putting off... And putting on. Did you pick up on that? Even in his prayer, he picked up that from the passage. Did you hear it? See, those words in the Greek language were used to describe taking off, putting off clothes. So if you had like a jacket on or something, taking that off. And the other for putting it on. It's used for clothing. And people would have understood that that's that's what he was thinking of when he's using here in or over there in Ephesians 4 these these words, taking off clothing, putting on clothing. And so these same words were used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament to talk about the priests, for example, putting on holy garments before they would enter the holy place and and serve the Lord, whether it was the high priest or the other priests. They used this language for them putting on the holy garments before performing their spiritual service in the temple. So here in, in Zechariah 3, we have another rendition of that, But it's something that we really can tie into ourselves and see as a beautiful illustration. It's one of my favorite illustrations in Scripture of what happens to us in salvation. But there's something that we often miss in that passage that is going to be picked up. We're going to see with this language woven throughout our Ephesians 4 passage that we are priests. So Ephesians or Zechariah 3, beginning in verse 1. So this is a vision that Zechariah was given by God. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of Yahweh. And that we saw in our study not too long ago of Zechariah, that that is the Lord Jesus. And what we now know is Jesus, the son of God, second person of the Trinity. He was standing before the angel of Yahweh and Satan standing at his, uh, Joshua's right hand to accuse him. And Yahweh said to Satan, Yahweh rebuke you, Satan. Indeed, Yahweh who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. 
Is this, Joshua, not a brand plucked from the fire? Now, this is why Satan was accusing him. Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and standing before the angel. So he's standing in front of the one we know of now as the Lord Jesus. That his filthy garments reflected his soul. This is who he was. He was a sinner. And, and so Satan said, Aha, see, this is the one serving you. And God gave Zechariah this vision. And so verse 4, he spoke there the angel of the Lord and said to those who were standing before him, saying, Remove the filthy garments from him. Again, he said to him, See, I have taken your iniquity away from you and will clothe you with festal robes. So just like Joshua, the high priest, you and I, if we're going to be in ours, our believer priests, and I'm going to show you some of that throughout this, but we've we've dealt with it in, in previous lessons and other passages. But we are, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are a priest If we are priests and are, we need our old, filthy garments removed. That old man, that old nature, that sin nature has to be removed before we may carry out our holy priesthood, our holy sacrifices and service to the Lord. And then we needed to put on new holy garments as was done for Joshua. Well, we know that Jesus died to remove our old filthy garments, our sin nature. He died that that may be taken off of us because it was nailed with him to the cross. And we know that in his work for us, in our place, he would provide for us to have holy garments, which are his righteousness. He would clothe us in His righteousness. That is the, the, those are the new garments that He has given us. And so what we're driving at today is this. What Paul is saying, and, and we're, gonna, we're still in Zechariah, so hang on there. But in Ephesians 4.20-24, what we're learning is that radical changes have happened. Okay. Radical changes have happened which enable you to put off specific sins and then replace them with holy behavior, holy conduct, holy service. Radical changes have happened which enable you to put off specific sins. And by the way, that's going to be verses 25 and following, the specific sins. And then replace them with holy behavior. So, if radical changes have already happened to us, then why do we still need to put off some sins? And, and this you know, causes a lot of uh, commentators as they work through, and, and theologians especially, as they try to pull together all these passages of Scripture. Okay, so what do we do with this? So, if we have put on the new nature and the old one's been put off, then why do we still have something to put off and something to put on? Okay, so why? Why do we need it? Why do we have to put off sins and replace it with holy behavior? Well, 
Joshua's clothing change, what we've just read about in verse 4, represents what happened to us at salvation. Okay, so when we were saved, when we put our trust in Christ, what happened was that, if you will, clothing change, where the old filthy garments had been taken off and the new Jesus righteousness put in its place. But look at verse 5. And this, this is not what verse 5 is teaching. This is an illustration that I'm using that I think helps us to understand what's going on, helps, helps us to picture what Paul is going to be talk about, talking about. Verse 5. Then I said... So all of a sudden, now Jesus is not talking. Zechariah pipes up. You know, because he's seeing this, and this is amazing. It's like, okay, you're taking these filthy garments off of Joshua, the high priest, and you put these these new festal garments on him. And so he he jumps in, and he's you know he he can't be quiet. And he says, "Let them put a clean turban on his head." And so they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments. And the angel of Yahweh was standing by. Again, that was the Lord Jesus. So what I'm, I'm doing is using this illustration just to help us picture what Paul is going to be talking about. Okay, Think of our lingering sins, even though our old nature as we put that off, our lingering sins are like, and I was trying to think of how, how can we picture this? And uh, Well, it's like that turban that, that he said, give him a clean turban. So Jesus already said, here, give him these clean garments. And okay, now he's, he's good. He can serve. Now, Zechariah adds, oh, well, what about the, the turban? You need to change that too. Think of that as like what Paul's going to get to in Ephesians 4.25 to put off lying, put off anger, put off stealing. You see, so think about the, the priest's turban, the, the sash that they wore, um, the various accessories that went along with their priestly garments. And what we're going to see is that the priestly imagery woven throughout the passage in Ephesians 4, shows the importance of serving in holiness. To serve in holiness with holy behavior. And, and I want to show you another tie to our passage. Uh, verse 7 here in Zechariah 3. Thus says Yahweh Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts. And he's talking to Joshua now. If you will walk in my ways. And that, that's what we're dealing with in Ephesians, Right? All these different ways we're supposed to walk. We dealt with walking in unity in, in the, the first 16 verses of chapter 4. Now we're dealing with walking in holiness, right? And he's going to have several more for us. Okay? If you will walk in my ways and if you will perform my service, there's that, that serving and it ties in with us and our spiritual gifts that we've already talked about. Then you will also govern my house and you'll have charge of my courts and I'll grant you free access among these who are standing here. So you can come before me at any time, Joshua, now, and you can serve me uh, in your, your general service. Okay, He's still under the old covenant, could only go into the holy place once a year, but he's saying now you have the ability to come. And, and so you need uh, to walk in my ways. And that's what we're, we're learning about is how do we walk in holiness in this section, this last half of Ephesians 4. Okay, so now you can go on over to Ephesians 4. So let's talk about where we're at here in our in Paul's discussion. In this last half of Ephesians 4, verses 17 to the end, 
He's calling us, Paul is calling us to walk in the second way, to walk in holiness. And we'll see that word holiness come up at the end of our passage this morning. So that, and that's why we label it this way, to walk in holiness. And this discussion is going to fall into two parts. We've already looked at verses 17 through 19, the first part of that, where he says, don't walk in the, or don't conduct yourselves in the way that unbelievers, he calls them Gentiles, there'd be some but unbelievers, the way they walk. Don't walk the way they walk. And now we are beginning the second part of that, starting in verse 20. Conduct yourselves according to your new way of life. Conduct yourselves according to your new way of life. So Paul is working his way toward getting into the details, some specific sins, like I mentioned, lying and stealing and so on, the the kind of speech we have and all. He's working his way toward that. This is how we are to conduct ourselves as we do our priestly service, as we serve the Lord as believer priests. But before he gets to that, he needs to show us why we must do that. And it's because radical changes have taken place. Radical changes have taken place. The first is this. You were not taught to keep living like unbelievers. Here in verses 20 and 21. You were not taught to keep living like unbelievers. So I want to back up and pick up that that way of the unbelievers in verse 17. So follow with me as I read that. This I say, therefore, and affirm together in the Lord, that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. And then for today. But you did not learn Christ in this way, that Gentile way, that unbeliever way, if indeed... You've heard him and been taught in him. Last week, Kevin taught from Matthew 28, 19. The word there for make disciples is from the word we have here in our passage, the word learn. You did not learn Christ in that way. So a disciple is a learner. That's what a disciple means. There's someone who is learning from someone else. They're learning the ropes, if you will. Matthew 28:19 had happened here in Ephesus. So as as Jesus told the disciples, as you're going into the world, you are to make disciples, and they did that. That's that's taken place by the time this is written, and it had been for a number of years. That happened there. The his followers, Jesus' followers, were obeying, and, and they've done that in a lot of different places, Ephesus being one of those. And so, when the people in Ephesus believed the gospel, disciples were made. They were disciples. And those new disciples were baptized. Remember, Jesus said, make disciples, baptize them, and then teach them all that I commanded you. And so, they were taught... And that's what Paul's talking about here. He says, you didn't learn Christ in this way, the disciple, if you've heard and been taught, you see. So all that Jesus had commanded, they have been taught. 
And this is in contrast here to the way of the Gentiles. So he said, you didn't learn Christ in that way, the way of the Gentiles. You didn't learn, oh, okay, it's fine just to keep living the way you were when you were an unbeliever. No, you were taught quite differently. They had learned all the truth about Christ. And learning Christ is what would help them and helps us to know how to live in ways that please Him. That's what the point of teach them all that I've commanded you. Teach them this so that they'll know how to walk in ways that please me, the Lord, as Jesus. That's what He's meaning by that. Verse 21 again, If indeed you have heard Him and have been taught in Him, The Ephesian Christians had heard Christ call them in the gospel message. So when it was preached, when the gospel message was preached, you think here of, of John 10, Jesus says, my, my sheep hear my voice. So when they are given new life, they're regenerated, they're born again, they have the, the ears, to e- ears to hear now. And so they hear Christ calling them when the gospel is preached. They may have heard the gospel preached a million times prior to that. But once they have new life and they hear the message, they heard Christ They heard Him call them. They trusted in Christ. And then they were taught in Him. They were taught, again, from Matthew 28, 19, they were taught all that Christ commanded. But notice what it says here. If you have been taught in Him, in Him, this teaching takes place in the sphere of Christ. It happens in Christ. Okay, so these people have to be believers who are in Christ to be taught. They were saved and then they were taught. So being in Christ, they would be taught in him. Why? We're going to see at the end of verse 21 that truth is in Jesus again, in the sphere of Jesus. So they had to be in him to be taught. Okay. now you might be wondering, Okay, well, I'm a a parent of, of children that I'm supposed to be teaching them, right? Yes. And I'm going to defer that to Ephesians 6.4 when we get there. We'll talk about it. Things are a little bit unique with that. It's not the same thing that Paul's talking about here. And it's not the same thing that Matt, or Jesus was talking about in Matthew 28.19. Because you think about it, whenever uh, you, you teach a child uh, the ways of Christ before they're saved, they're learning, they're getting all that information, but they're not hearing it as... A disciple. They're not hearing it as a believer because they're not a believer yet. And then what you must do once they become a believer is you don't have to completely reteach everything, but you go back through that and you say, okay, now as a believer, do you get it? Do you see what this is talking about? Do you understand that? That's exactly what happened to the Apostle Paul. So remember, he he knew the Old Testament as well as anybody in his day and probably as well as anybody in any time. And yet, when he was saved, what happened? Jesus took him off into Arabia and taught him for three years. It's like, well, why would he need to teach him? Because when Paul was saved, the only scriptures they had were the Old Testament scriptures. So, why did he have to teach him what he already knew? Because he's a believer now. He's a disciple now. He had to be taught. And Jesus taught Paul Personally, because Paul was going to be, remember, apostle with a capital A, right? He would be one that would have the authority to tell the instruct to instruct the churches. This is how you're to do things. This is what you're to believe. Okay. So one who knew all of it still had to be taught. So we'll talk about that more 
uh, in Ephesians 6, 4 about, what, you know, how do you do this when you've taught your, your uh, children before they're saved? And it is something you do, but we'll, we'll discuss that. So, we said first that you were not taught to live like unbelievers. It's not what you were taught. Well, what were you taught? He says at the end of verse 21 that truth is in Jesus. So that our second point is truth is, or excuse me, Jesus is the truth that you were taught. Jesus is the truth you were taught. Okay, and you're going to see here how the person has to be a believer to be taught in this way. Okay, so, so hold on to that. Verses 20 and 21, but you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus. Jesus embodies the truth. Jesus didn't say, I have the truth. He did have the truth. John 14, 6. I am the way and what? The truth. He said, I am the truth. Not just that I have the truth. Not just that I can deliver to you the truth. Those are true. That's not what he said. He says, I am the truth. He embodies the truth. The historical Jesus is the truth. And this truth is taught in the context of a personal relationship with Jesus. For him to say that the truth is in Jesus and therefore Jesus embodies that truth, we have to be in Christ, in that sphere of Christ, in order to be able to learn that truth. Because it's in the context of a personal relationship with Jesus that we learn this truth. And so this truth is for those who are in Jesus And the reason that they have it, they're taught it, is so they'll know how to please Him. Okay, So that we can walk with Him as His people, His children, and know how it is to please Him. Third, specifically, you were taught three truths that will impact your behavior. So specifically, you were taught three truths that are going to impact your behavior. It's going to impact these specific areas of, in chapter, or in verse 25, right? those specific sins. So, uh, we're going to look at that in verses 22 to 24 now. And breaking that down, those three truths, the first truth is that you have already put off the old nature, verse 22. You've already put off the old nature. So, he says there in verse 22, just as the truth is in Jesus, that, in other words, this is the truth, Number one, in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit. So he uses this phrase, a manner of life. He's talking about your conduct, your behavior, uh, your lifestyle. And, And he's talking about that old lifestyle that you had. All of us had that before we were saved. And the people who are not yet saved, that's them now. Okay. He says, you were taught that you've laid it aside. Paul calls it here the old self. Literally, it is the old man. It is our old nature. This old self is you before you were saved. Okay, that's, that's, you think about 
Romans 6, 6, for example. It's the old you before you were saved. Uh, Colossians 3, 9, which we're going to read in a few minutes. Uh, it's the old you. Think about Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 3, where he says, You were dead in your trespasses and sins. And then he describes how bad that was. That's what he's talking about. That's the old you before you were saved. And what he says about that is that unbelievers, and this used to be us if we're saved, are continually being corrupted morally and spiritually, continually being corrupted. So it's not like they they have this, this static situation that they're in, this state that they're in where it just, okay, it's bad, you know, it's not good, but... It doesn't get worse. No, they're continually being corrupted. It's, it's getting worse and worse. And this is a, a, a contrast. He says what they're, what they're um, corrupted by are their sinful desires that arise from deceit. That deceit is, is a contrast to the truth that's in Jesus. So he told us already, truth is in Jesus. Now he says, okay, if you look, think back to who you used to be, deceit, deception. That, that's what was driving you. That's what was corrupting you. And what a contrast that is to where you are now, where truth is in Jesus. Now, what does he mean by that? They're being corrupted by the lusts of deceit. This is, this is what he means. <clears throat> Unbelievers are deceived into thinking that their life that that life comes from their desires being fulfilled. Now think about that for a minute. Because you'll probably see yourself in that a little bit, right? Which is what Paul's trying to do. So, okay, you got to get away from that, okay? So, <clears throat> unbelievers are deceived into thinking that life comes, I mean, uh, their happiness, everything, all everything good comes from their desires being fulfilled. Think about you and me, because we still, remember, there's still some of those, you know, we, that we still have that dirty turban or dirty sash or whatever we've got to get rid of, right? And think about how we think this sometimes. Oh, if I only had, right? And fill in the blank. Or if I only had more of, fill in the blank. Or if I had less of, and think Charles, right? Then I would be happy. We all think that sometimes. And these things turn into idols, don't they? Because it might be a good thing. But when, but, but our lusts can deceive us into thinking that that's where life is. I just had that. And for the unbeliever, like for us, it, it's something that it's, it doesn't characterize us truly. It's not who we are. It's something who we were that we're trying to completely get rid of. But for the unbeliever, this is who they are. And this is what's, what's just eating them up all the time and corrupting them constantly. That's why they desperately need a Savior. Now... Some of you may have noticed this already. The way I'm talking about this is different than the way you read it in your Bible. Okay? Because some translations treat these two things put off and put on in these verses as imperatives, commands. Okay? Others treat them as 
you were taught that you should put off, put on. Okay, so there's still commands, right? Basically. That's the way most of the translations take those. And that's the way most commentators in, in, the, in the past, Reformed commentators, will take them. Um, they understand it that way. And, part, and I'm going I'm to spare you all the geeky details, but um, these are infinitives, and so it's kind of like, okay, so how should we take those, right? And but there's there's some things that I, that I think are going to point us in a different direction. Now, hang with me because the whole thing we always teach you here at the GBC is put off, put on. That that is a thing, and it's a good thing. And necessary thing and it still is okay so what i'm saying doesn't take that away it just helps us to better understand how paul gets there okay i think it's better to take these the put off put on uh, and in verse 23 the being renewed as describing what is already true for believers okay i think it's better to take it that way and most modern, even especially Reformed commentators, take it this way. It describes what is already true for believers. A, a passage where it's actually clearer and that helps us is Colossians 3, verses 9 and 10. Let me read that to you. Colossians 3, 9. Do not lie to one another, which Paul's going to get to in Ephesians 4, just, just a bit. Do not lie to one another. Why? Since you laid aside the old self. With its evil practices. You've already done that, you see. And have, you've already put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. Okay? So, that passage in in Greek is clearer as to what, how we should take the tense, the verb tense there. Because those are participles. And so it's clearer for us. We're like, okay, yeah, that, everybody agrees about that. We should take the parallel passage in Ephesians 4 uh, the same way, I believe. Because, you see, the commands to put off and put on actually start in verse 25. And in, in Greek, in Ephesians, the first the commands start in verse 25. Okay, So I think it's best for us to keep those commands starting there and not say, well, those infinitives could work as commands, which they can, but I don't think they are here. So, what does all that mean? Since you have already put off the old self, now, verses 25 and following, you're going to put off specific sins. Lying, stealing, abusive speech, all those kinds of things, right? Okay? So, that's what he's doing. So, he's laying the groundwork. And and if you read in Paul's letters, he always does this. He gives you some groundwork and then the command. Okay, so if we take verses 22 to 24 as commands, that would be the only place he does that. He doesn't lay that groundwork first. Okay, so I got a little geeky on you there, so sorry. I was going to leave it out, but it came back, so. Now, back to where we're going. In the Greek translation of the Old Testament... As I said before, the words lay aside or put off and put on were used of taking off and putting on the holy garments for the priest's ministry in the holy place. 
So for, for a priest to do the, his holy service uh, in a holy place, the holy place, he had to put on the appropriate garments. These words were used. Uh, we saw Zechariah 3, uh, also Leviticus 16, uh, Exodus 28, they used those terms. So, because we are believer priests serving God, and we are helping to build this holy temple of His, and we, we do our ministry in the context of His church, which is becoming that holy temple, this is a fitting illustration for us to think in terms of us as priests. Because we are, in a lot of different passages, taught that we are believer priests. We serve in God's church. Now... <clears throat> What he's, what he's saying in this first truth, what you have been taught is this. Believers have been taught that because they put their trust in Christ at their conversion, at that time they laid aside their old self. Okay, so at that time they laid aside their old self. So um, I think that's the better way to understand this. It's not telling us here to put off the old self. We're going to see another reason why in a moment. But he's saying, you were taught that. You were taught that you have put it off. And so now I can call you to put off lying, stealing, abusive speech, right? So that, that's where he's going with this. Okay, the, what's the second truth that's going to impact our behavior? Well, in verse 23, we learn this. You are continually being renewed in your inner man. So, put off and put on here are past tense, but this one is present tense. You are continually being renewed in your inner man. Verse 23, he says, And that you be renewed, or you are being renewed, is the way I am taking it, in the spirit of your mind. Just as I said, unbelievers are continually being corrupted, believers are continually being renewed. So it's not that, okay, you know, at salvation, okay, here you go, that's all you get. Knock yourself out. No, we're continually being renewed. And that's a part of this whole put off and put on that we're going to be talking about in verses 25 and following. You see, there's that continual renewal that happens. Okay, so, so let's talk about this renewal. We're being renewed by God. This is a in the passive voice. It's God who's renewing us. We are not renewing ourselves. We couldn't save ourselves. We couldn't give ourselves new life. We can't renew ourselves. Now, we contribute to that. We work with him in that. But he's the one that renews us. This renewal takes place in our mind. We've already seen in Ephesians that the mind is our ability to, to think and to understand. It's the inner man. Okay? Sometimes they, they look at it as, the, call it the heart. Sometimes they call it the mind. And here, he calls it the mind. It's, it's where we think and understand. But he, he adds something here that makes us scratch our heads. Okay? We're being renewed in the spirit of our minds. Okay, okay well, I've got the mind part, but the spirit of the mind? Well, okay, you, you lost me here. Okay, so let's talk about what that is. What is the spirit of your mind? Well, for one, the spirit is not a separate thing. There are some people, Christians, who teach that we're um, body, soul, and spirit. You know, the three parts. But really, we're just inner man, outer man. Okay? We're, we're just two parts. But one of those parts, the inner man, 
has different features to it. And he talks about one of those here, the spirit. Okay, this is the human spirit, it's not the Holy Spirit. The spirit, the human spirit is located in the mind. And it gives the mind new abilities when we're saved. Because we're going to talk about in a minute from 1 Corinthians 2, that there are abilities that we as believers have with our minds that unbelievers don't have. Okay? So this is something that is activated when we become a Christian. This is the part, the Spirit is the part of the inner man that directly interfaces with the Holy Spirit who dwells inside us. So you think about it, the Holy Spirit is living inside of each Christian. How is it that He, if you will, communes, converses with us? How does that happen? Well, there is an interface there, and that interface is the Spirit that's inside the mind. It's in the mind, okay? Think Romans 8.16 there, for example. Now, the, the first Corinthians 2 passage I was telling you about. Our spirit evaluates things spiritually. Unbelievers can't do that. You see, we look at things, we look at Scripture. And here, again, is the reason why you have to be in Christ to really be taught. Because only believers can understand spiritually the spiritual nature of what's taught in the Word of God. Now, they can understand the facts, but they can't understand the, the aspect of it that is a personal relationship with Christ. Remember, we're not learning facts, we're learning a person, right? Jesus. 1 Corinthians 2 also talks about how we experience a relationship with the Lord, and it's because of that spirit. You see, our human spirit interfaces with the Holy Spirit who lives inside us, and we can experience that relationship with Him because of the spirit that's in our mind, okay, because of our human spirit, okay. And it is the Holy Spirit who does this renewing. He specifically renews us. And to think about this, um, we have passages like 2 Corinthians 3, in 4, in Romans 12, uh, which there's that, that renewing that takes place. It's the Holy Spirit who does it. And as I'm trying to show in this, this isn't a, you know, sit back and kick up your feet and wait for God to zap you kind of thing. Just because I say the Holy Spirit renews you doesn't mean you don't do anything and you just wait to be zapped. No, we are to flood our minds with Scripture because the Holy Spirit isn't going to, he's already done his creation work. He's not going to create something out of nothing. It's kind of like the kid that, you know, they, they pray right before a test. You know, oh, Lord, you know, I didn't study at all. And I didn't read my homework, do my homework or anything. But, you know, help me make an A. Help me, you know. It's like put something there that was that's not there. Okay. At one of my professors the commentator often referred to, Dr. Honer, uh, I, I loved him. Um, he would pray in our, our classes when we'd have quizzes, uh, and they, they were torture, but um, he would pray beforehand, Lord, help them to recall those things they have faithfully studied. You know, and it was always convicting, you know, because you're thinking, you know, you know, I was praying, oh, Lord, you know, help me be able to pull this out of thin air because I didn't study it, you know. The Holy Spirit, that's how, that's how he works. He, he's, if, you're, if you're not consuming Scripture, you're not learning Scripture, you're giving him nothing to work with. 
Okay, you've got to flood your mind with Scripture. But when you do that, so that's the value of, of constantly reading your Bible every day and studying it and, and memorizing it and chewing on it in meditation and all. Because when you do that, what he does is he takes that and he applies it to your soul, your spirit, and he renews that spirit. Because you'll find over time, it's kind of like, you know... You you read the first time through the Bible, you know, and there's a lot of that that you're like, you know, it's it's a blur, right? And but then you read it again. It's like, oh, and you picked up on something you didn't, and you saw some things tie together, right? And I mean, as many times as I've read the Bible in my life, every time I read it, I still find things, and I'm making notes in my margin and everything, because. You see, he's renewing my mind. I'm getting it more and more, if you will. It's clicking more and more. So that's what's happening. Okay, verse 24. So the third truth. And you have put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. So the third truth that impacts our behavior is this. You have already put on the new nature. Verse 24. You have already put on the new nature. So he's saying that they were taught that because they put on or put their trust in Christ, that at that time they also put on the new nature, just like putting on a new set of clothes. And and here is what helps me to understand whether these are commands here, verses 22 and 24. Are they commands or are they just telling me what has happened? Is this. You can't be an unbeliever and a believer at the same time. It's not possible for you to have the old garments on, those old filthy garments, the old nature, and the new nature at the same time. There are people who who teach that. And some of my profs in seminary, I disagreed with them. They, they were teaching something like that. And we no, no, that's not what the Bible's saying. You know, so you you can't be an unbeliever and a believer at the same time. Okay? So what I, what He's saying definitely in Colossians 3, and I think he's saying also here. And Colossians ties it together the same way. Because you have, since you have put off the old nature and put on the new, now put off and put on, put off these these specific sins and put righteous things in its place. Right? So that's what he's doing here. This new self or this new man refers to believers, individual believers within the church. So each of us can say, this new self is the radically new me. It's the radically new me. Each of us should can say that. And as believer priests who are serving in God's house... We are to have a certain character. See, that's what we've kind of been driving at here. Why new garments? Why get rid of the old? Because we have to have a certain character. Just like the the high priest who, if he just kind of, you know, it really doesn't matter. I go in here every year. It's no big deal. I'm just going to wear, you know, my old clothes and I'm just going to go in there and get this over with. Well, we know what happened to him, right? He struck dead. 
Well, we, we're not high priests. There's one, and it's Jesus, and he's taking care of that. But we're priests serving under him, ministering by our spiritual gifts and, and other sacrifices that the New Testament talks about. But we have to have a certain character to our clothes, right? The first thing he says about that is that God has created us anew. In the likeness of God, it's been created, he says. It has been created anew. We have been created anew. Think about 2 Corinthians 5.17, one of my favorite verses. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation, literally. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. I'm not the old me. Now, somehow, I'm still, you know... John that was born a long, long time ago. But in a very real sense, I'm not him. I've been recreated. There's a radical change that happens when a person becomes a believer. Their old nature is gone. They have now a new nature that's been created anew by God. And so what he's talking about here, and this is a good way for us to picture it, is because as we pull theology together and these passages together, like Ephesians 2, uh, that that section there, 4 through 7, that was read during our singing time, is this. God gave us life. He regenerated us. And when he gave us life, I talked about earlier, you know, we can now hear Jesus call us the, the good shepherd. Okay. When he gave us life, what we do is we respond to that. We respond first in repentance. And so if our, if our sinful, our sin is here and we had been walking in this direction, then repentance means that we walk in this direction. That's one way of picturing it. What Paul is picturing here is that, okay, we were walking that way and we, we took off our old clothes and, and, and we're, you see, it's repentance and we're going over here and we're putting on our new clothes and now we're walking in a new direction. You see, there's, I'm pulling together these different pictures of what happens when we are saved. So he gives us life, he regenerates us, we are born again, then we respond in repentance by putting off our old nature. We respond also in faith, that's the other side of the coin, by putting on the new nature. God gives us life, we respond in repentance and faith. And he says here that when God did this recreation, he did it in the likeness of God. He made us like God. You see, and that's our goal, right? To be like Him. You shall be holy for I am holy, right? And, and we're striving to be like Christ. He, he created us in that image. And Colossians 3.10 actually says that. It's in His image. Think about it. Originally, God created Adam, what? In His image, okay? And Adam, and of course, Eve too, in His image, He created them. But then what happened? They sinned. And then as we read, then they became corrupted constantly, just worse and worse and worse. See, they, that image of God, that likeness of God was corrupted. So when he recreates us at salvation, then he recreates us in his image. So how can we describe that image? He gives us a couple 
of modifiers to help us understand that. First, it is created in righteousness. This idea of righteousness is rightness, righteousness, justice. Think here of showing justice to other people. We talked about that a lot in Sunday school today. Why? Because God is righteous, Romans 3. And then we are called to behave righteously, to be like Him. We're to be committed to, and again, uh, Zechariah, true justice, he talks about in his prophecy. So we're, it's created in righteousness. You see, it's like God in that way. Second way is in holiness. It's created in holiness. Holiness here, the word describes reverence toward God. Okay. Now, this is not the, the word for being set apart, saint. This is a different word. This one is, is reverence okay, before God. And it's beautiful. There's a passage which talks again about priests that brings both of these words in. John the Baptist's father, Zacharias, prophesied that Jesus would not only bring salvation to us, but he would also enable us, quote, to serve God without fear in holiness and righteousness and to do that before him all our days. You see, in other words, he's talking about us serving God as priests all of our days by what Jesus has done. And we would do that in righteousness and this holiness, this reverence before God. Our service is priestly service. It is to have the spiritual character of righteousness and holiness because we are to be holy priests, serving a holy God in His holy temple, the one that is being built and we're helping by His grace to build it. And he, he adds here this idea of truth again. How do we define those? Do we now, now we're on our own. Paul says, okay, okay, go figure it out, guys. No, not at all. Scripture, truth, is what will define what righteousness is, what holiness is. Okay, in all the different ways. And so he's going to start out. Therefore, in light of what I just said, lay aside, put off falsehood or lying. He's going to deal with sinful anger and so on, stealing. The truth of Scripture will define these two character traits. So this kind of holy conduct is to be working its way out in our lives. These things are true of us now. We have put off the old man. We are being renewed and we have put on the new man. They need to work their way out into our lives as we serve one another. It has to characterize our service. It matters how we serve. That's going to be the subject we take up next. So I'd like for us to give some thought this week, careful thought, about the the way in which you serve, the way for me to think about how I serve. Do you think of it as priestly? Do you picture yourself as a priest? You should, because if you're a believer, you're a priest. And you do priestly service. Think about the spiritual gifts. This is all in the same context, right? The spiritual gifts you exercise, even though you think, well, I mean, how is, I'll pick on you know, changing diapers in the nursery, how is that priestly? It is. And we need to think, is my service priestly? And then ask yourself, What areas of my service need improvement? 
to truly be righteous and holy. Because He's calling us here to walk in holiness. To serve in holiness. Well, as we come to the table, we think about Jesus has done as our high priest. What He's accomplished. He made the payment that enabled Him to take off our old filthy garments, our old nature, and nail them to the cross. But His work also earned us the righteousness, His righteousness, that He would clothe us with. He did that. One of the reasons we're seeing here is so that we would be appropriately attired as we serve Him. Now, no, we don't have to wear dresses and suits and ties and whatever, you know, polished shoes or... No. Holiness and righteousness. His righteousness that needs to work its way out in our lives.